I've titled my, my sermon this morning, More Than Healing. And if you have a Bible, you're welcome to open with me to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark this week and the next two weeks, and then we're going to start a new series uh, titled Practices That Form Us. And we're going to talk about these disciplines and things that we might do that help to, to shape and form Christ-likeness in us. Um, but as we get to the end of Mark's Gospel, uh, I invite you to hear the word of the Lord this morning. We'll be reading Mark 10, verse 46 through 52. Hear the word of the Lord, church. They, the disciples and Jesus, came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, who he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, call, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father, we've come this morning hoping that we might be made aware of your presence in our lives. We've come in anticipation that you're a God who speaks and wants to speak to us. And so we ask that you would do so. By your grace and your mercy, would you speak and allow us, grant to us, O oh God, the ability to hear your voice, that we might be formed, that we might receive good news this day, it changes everything in many ways. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> what, is, what is your favorite healing story in all the scriptures, in the life of Jesus, I should say? There's a lot of them that we've looked at in the Gospel of Mark, but I wonder, like, what are some of your favorite healing stories? And I don't just mean that rhetorically. I'm curious to know, like... What are some of your favorite healing stories that we read in the Gospels, in the life of Jesus? Anybody? Do I have any takers? I should have, like, prepped Lauren to shout something out ahead of time to get— Okay, Julie, what's your favorite healing story? So there's just, a, just, just generally, you love the concept that Jesus heals people, and that— it's a variety of ailments, a variety of situations, a variety of people that Jesus heals. Peggy, I saw your hand up. Were you going to... Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, the spit in the mud. Yes, yes, yes. Is it, these are, those are two, actually, that are in the Gospel of Mark. There's this story where Jesus 
goes to this man, and he's living in the cemetery and by the graveside, and he, he seems crazy. Everybody thinks he's crazy, and he lives out by himself, and he's so crazy, in fact, that people had to chain him, and, and Jesus comes and arrives, and this man approaches him, and, and what ends up happening is Jesus casts the demons out of this man. Apparently, there were many of them into this herd of pigs, and the pigs immediately just like go off the cliffside and drowned. Um, which is an interesting sort of take on the sacrifice we have to have as a community for... Anyways, I already preached that sermon. I won't go into it. But there's this other story that was in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus sort of like sort of heals a man and then has to like come back later on and complete it where he spits in some mud or spits in some dirt and makes mud and rubs it on the man's eyes. And, and the man's like, Jesus like, can you, can you see now? And he's like, sort of, but like I can't really... It's not clear exactly. I feel like I need glasses or LASIK or something. And Jesus like, well, go down to this, go down to this, uh, this stream of water and, and wash it off and, and you'll be good. And so the man goes and he does that and then he can see clearly. There's a number of these healing stories in Mark's gospel that I love. Right from the very beginning of Mark 1, Jesus goes into the temple and there's a man with an unclean spirit and Jesus casts him out. And the next scene in Mark's gospel is, is Jesus going to Peter's uh, m- house and, and his mother-in-law is sick and he heals her. Or there's that famous story in, in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 2, of the, the four friends who take their, their friend who is lame. He can't walk. He's been a paraplegic his whole life. And they, they, they carve a hole in this roof and lower him down because the crowds have pressed in so tightly on Jesus that they can't get to him. And they put this hole in this roof and lower him down to Jesus. And they, Jesus heals him, right? And he walks out of the house. There's a story of, of this, this Roman soldier whose, whose daughter is dying. Remember this? And he's like, Jesus, come heal my daughter. And, and Jesus starts going down the road to heal his daughter. And, and this woman, this, this anonymous woman comes and touches the cloak of Jesus. She's had this issue of bleeding her entire life. And as soon as she touches the cloak of Jesus, she's healed. And as Jesus goes down the road to, to heal this guy's daughter, the, the servants come and, and tell him that she's died. And He's like, oh, man, that's too bad. And Jesus goes, no, 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 let's go to the house anyways. And he gets to the house and he says, oh, she's not dead. She's just sleeping, right? And everyone's like so confused. There's that story in Mark's gospel. We know her as the Syrophoenician woman who, who wants Jesus to heal her daughter. And, and, and Jesus says no, which is a crazy story. And she's like, no, like I really need you to heal my daughter. I'm begging you to heal my daughter. And she asks over and over and over again. It becomes a story of, of Jesus' willingness to respond to our perseverance in asking him for the same thing over and over and over again. But all throughout the Gospel of Mark, we can go down the list of healing miracles that happen in Mark's Gospel. But you want to know one of the fascinating things almost universally about those who were healed in Mark's gospel. We don't know any of their names. Except for one. We know one name of a person who was healed in Mark's gospel. As in our text this morning. Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is this guy who has been blind his entire life. Imagine that being blind for your entire life. Bartimaeus had never seen a sunset. He had never seen God use the sky as a canvas to just dazzle us with beauty. 
the orange and the pink and the reds just sort of mixing and coalescing together to form something that takes our breath away. Bartimaeus had never seen anybody smile at him. How crazy is that? To not ever be able to experience the look in, in your parents' eye when they see you and they're just filled with joy and excitement and, and laughter. Like he never saw a smile in his entire life. He had never seen anything. And it's interesting that, that Bartimaeus in our story this morning is defined by his disability. Blind Bartimaeus. As though that was the most important thing for us to know about him. What do you need to know about Bartimaeus other than the fact that he's this blind beggar? And this kind of labeling isn't unfamiliar with the ways that we often label ourselves or one another in the world today. Right? There's cheating Kathy or lying Larry, or dishonest Darren, or stealing Sarah, and I'm out of alliteration, so I have no other names to use, but you could fill in the blank yourself. But we often think of people according to their worst types of descriptions. Blind Bartimaeus. But where we discover Bartimaeus this morning is that he's sitting beside the road as Jesus is passing by, as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Perhaps Bartimaeus, his family, or his friends sat him beside the road to do the one thing that he could do to help contribute to the family, just panhandle for money, just beg for mercy and charity from those who would pass by. I imagine every day Bartimaeus was left on the side of the road to just beg and beg and beg for something. I imagine this is the closest thing he could do for work. And so there he sat beside the road, doing what he does every day, beg, in his blindness. In the midst of this ordinary day, just another typical day in Bartimaeus' life, Jesus shows up. I love that, that part of the story. I think it's a beautiful part of the story, actually. That Jesus meets us and he meets Bartimaeus in the midst of his ordinary life. Bartimaeus isn't there at like some big grand religious service and you know Jesus is going to show up. No, it's just kind of casually as Bartimaeus goes about a typical day in his life. And Bartimaeus, he hears that, that this massive crowd and the noise that they're making is, is joining Jesus as Jesus passes him by. And as he becomes aware that Jesus is walking by him, he begins to shout. And he projects his voice louder than the noise of the crowd that's following Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And there's a sense of like desperation in his voice. There's a sense that like, this is my moment. This is when everything can change for me if Jesus would just see me and come near me and heal me. Have you ever been there with God in a situation with such desperation that you found yourself either literally shouting, really wanting to shout, God help me. Like I'm really stuck here. I have no idea what else to do. I, I need mercy. Most of us have been there at one point in our lives. God, Jesus, show up. It's interesting that 
as this blind beggar, Bartimaeus, begins to shout for mercy, many in the crowd tell him to be quiet, right? Pipe down, Bartimaeus. Jesus, someone important's walking by. Don't you know Jesus has more important business to attend to? He's going to Jerusalem. He's got sermons to preach. He's got parables to explain, right? Religious people to debate. He, he doesn't have time for beggars, he doesn't have time for, for you, blind Bartimaeus. Be quiet. And moments like these in our text should often make us pause, perhaps, to consider to what extent we as a church and we as the disciples of Jesus care about the least of these that are among us and in our city. Amidst all of the religious activity, amidst all the sermons that you hear and forget, Amidst all of the youth group, against, amidst all of the children's ministry and the board meetings and the planning and this, that, or the other thing, do we as a church take time to stop and see and listen to those crying out for mercy in our midst? Do we see blind Bartimaeus as we walk by him, as we journey with Christ? But unlike the crowds that rebuke Bartimaeus, Jesus heard the man shouts and calls him over. It's beautiful. And he asks him the question, he says, what, what do you want me to do for you, Bartimaeus? It's the same question that Jesus asked James and John in our, in our previous portion of Mark's gospel. You know, teacher, do anything for us that we ask of you. And Jesus responds, he says, well, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked Bartimaeus the same question he asked his disciples, which is sort of a foreshadowing, perhaps, of what's about to happen. What do you want me to do for you, Bartimaeus? And I love that Jesus asked this man this question, that Jesus doesn't assume to know what it is that Bartimaeus wants. See, most of us have this tendency to assume that we know what another person needs or wants, particularly if that person has some kind of challenge or disability, but Jesus honors and respects this man enough to let him give expression to his own desires and wants. And that question that Jesus asked both James and John and Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you, perhaps is a sermon in and of itself. What do you want, church? What do you want Jesus to do for you this morning? What do you wish that Jesus would come and do for you? this morning. But upon hearing Jesus' question, Bartimaeus responds, teacher, I love the way that the NRSV says it, my teacher, I want to see. Go, your faith has healed you. And in a moment, by that roadside, Jesus heals blind Bartimaeus. In an instant, Bartimaeus is given his sight. He saw the world that everyone else had been seeing all along around him, the sunsets and the smiles. And it's Jesus, the wonder worker, who has healed him in this instant. But let me ask you a question, church, this morning about this event. Why does Jesus perform healing miracles? Why does he heal blind Bartimaeus? Why does he heal the man with demons and cast them into pigs? Why does he heal the man who is blind by like rubbing dirt in the blind man's eyes, which seems like a particularly cruel thing to do? Why does he heal Peter's mother-in-law? Why does he heal the woman with the problem of, why does Jesus perform 
miracles? Why did he go around healing the blind, the lame, the sick, and those with unclean spirits? Several years ago, I asked this question to a Sunday school class of students that I was leading up in Santa Barbara. Why did Jesus perform healing miracles? Like, what is it all about? And as it goes with a small group of students, there's this awkward silence, right? Kind of like when I ask, what are your favorite healing miracles? And it's like uncomfortably silent in here for a little bit. But it, it, the silence really just means that they're thinking hard and critically. They're not just giving me some rote answer. So why does Jesus perform healing miracles? After some time, one of the students looked at me and answered the question, in order to get people to believe in him. And I said, oh, okay, that's a great answer. Any other sort of thoughts or suggestions as to why Jesus performs these miracles in the Gospels? Like, what are they all about? And some others sort of chimed in, but they, they essentially just say the same thing the other person said, but like, right, because they're, yeah, so we had that whole thing going on. Then that one student, there's always one in a group, there's always one with students or adults, whoever, who, who feels the need to play devil's advocate, right? There's always that one, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. But she countered with this comment. She said, if that's why Jesus healed people, then it didn't work. People may have believed that he could heal him, but how many of those who were healed actually followed him? Outside of the fact that that discussion had nothing to do with what I was wanting to talk about that morning, this, what students do best, it was a rather clever insight that I had never actually thought about before. And it's the reason why the healing of blind Bartimaeus in our text this morning isn't so much a healing story as much as it is a discipleship story. Jesus says to blind Bartimaeus after healing him, he says, go, go back home and begin living life as a normal person, as normal as any of us can really be, right? Get, get a job, watch sunsets, see smiles, you deserve to live the rest of your life in peace and tranquility after living most of your life in blindness. And nobody in the story, and even us as readers of this story, would have faulted Bartimaeus for going back home to his new life. It's what most of us would have done. It's what I would have done. It's what Jesus told us to do. But then we would know no more about him than we do the dozens of other anonymous people whom Jesus miraculously healed. That's not what Bartimaeus does. He doesn't go. He follows. Mark tells us, right after Jesus tells him, go, your faith has healed you, Mark tells us, he says, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. He's the only one who's healed in all of the Gospels who follows Jesus. Bartimaeus must have followed Jesus, become a disciple, and been known and re remembered whenever Mark began to write his Gospel, right? Like, why else would this healing story, unlike all the rest, have remembered Bartimaeus' name? We know his name. He's the only one we know, Bartimaeus. See, Though Bartimaeus was blind, he saw. He saw that Jesus was about more than simply healing people. Jesus was about discipleship. Bartimaeus saw that, that Jesus, in healing him, had invited him to follow along the way. Bartimaeus followed on the way with Jesus. And that's why we remember his name. 
he really saw who Jesus was. <clears throat> and in some sense, church, it's the following that's the true miracle of discipleship. The two most influential, or at least most well-known women in the late 20th century was a, a British princess and an Albanian nun. I may have given you clues as to who these two people are. Those who are around in the late 1900s, as kids refer to that decade now and days, will know that, that Princess Diana and Mother Teresa were two of the most prominent women in all of the world, maybe the most prominent women in all of the world. Princess Diana fell in love with and married a prince in the royal family, the Prince of Wales, married in St. Paul's Cathedral. She was winsome and beautiful and, and classy, and for some reason she had that ability to capture the hearts and attention of a global audience. Her death actually was one of the first global tragedies that I remember in my life, or at least it felt like a global tragedy when, when she died. Mother Teresa died within a week of Diana. She didn't die in a luxury car, but in a, in a convent in Calcutta. She had moved from her native Albania to the slums of India to serve the poor who were dying. And in her words, not to cure them, but to love Jesus as he was disguised in the lives of the least of these. Theologian and author Andy Crouch writes that there's this sort of unsettling asymmetry between Princess Diana and Mother Teresa, or there's this really interesting sort of oppositeness, if I can use or make up a word for you this morning, between these two figures, is that there is in no way that, that any one of us in any possible scenario could take Princess Diana's place, her royal appointment, her worldwide celebrity, her magnetic attraction of every camera that was around her, and, and beside the fact that 99.9999999999% of us will, will never be able to be a part of the British royal family, nor would we, unless you watch The Crown, and that's a, it's interesting. But there is no one who could do what Diana did. Her life was a singular life. There will be in our lifetime an absolutely tiny number of women who will charm the cameras and be able to manipulate the press in such a way to reach her level of fame. The pursuit of that kind of life is both foolish and futile. And yet, this is the crazy thing. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, stopping us from taking Mother Teresa's place in the world. None of the barriers to taking up the life of a celebrity princess apply to those who might want to just serve the poor. In fact, there are hundreds of people serving at the Missionaries of Charity in Calcutta, India today. Some of them have been there for a few days. Some of them have been there for a few years. Some of them have been there for decades they will not necessarily achieve Mother Teresa's worldwide recognition, but they are living in every material respect the life that Mother Teresa lived. I love the way that Andrew Crouch writes this. He says, with all the plastic surgery money could buy, you or I will never look like Princess Diana in her prime. Bummer. But for absolutely no cost, 
accept a life of love, we could all look like Mother Teresa. For nearly all of us, becoming a celebrity is completely, categorically impossible. But for all of us, becoming a saint is completely, categorically possible. The following of Jesus, church, always creates saints. Every single time that somebody like Bartimaeus follows Jesus, every single time that somebody like Mother Teresa chooses to follow along the way with Jesus, the miracle of discipleship happens and a saint is created. In my first sermon here, at my installation, which I'm like thinking like, I think most of you actually weren't there, so I'm going to just sort of pull from it for a second. I preach this, this sort of essential message that there is nothing about any single person's life. There's nothing about your life that prevents you from having the life of Christ born in you. It's the beauty of Jesus in the incarnation that Jesus was born to these really ordinary people who were very unimpressive into this out-of-back, out-of-the-way town that we know as Nazareth. God makes saints out of ordinary people and he's still doing it today in our church. Pastor Dan Hole, Pastor Patty Litton, Becky Argo, Terry Holtz, Holly Stetta, Elaine Cavalletto, and more. Do you know why we're going to remember the names of these folks after they've gone? It's the same reason why we remember Bartimaeus. They followed Jesus on the way. And what was birthed in them was the very life of Christ. A life of self-giving love for neighbors and for our church and for the world. And there is nothing about your life. There's no circumstance, there's no history, there's no mistake that precludes you from that kind of miracle of discipleship that you would be a saint. That's good news. To know and to see and to believe in Jesus is not just to receive the healing benefits that come with him. It is to go with him along the way, church. It is to follow closely to Christ. His way is not meant simply to be praised or to be admired or to be adored. His way is meant to be walked. Bartimaeus is remembered by us as the one who got it. He followed on the way. May our city and may the world know the name of our church because we do the same. Amen. I invite the worship team to come up this morning. And as we prepare our hearts for prayer and for communion in this next song, I want you to just sit with this one question this morning. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Truly, do you, want, do you want to become the saint that he wants to make you into? Do you want the life of Christ birthed in you in such a way that has meaningful, meaningful impact in the world?
spend some moments and I'll come back and lead us both in our prayers and in communion this morning.